world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. All right, welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. You know, there was just an earthquake in Argentina. A populist libertarian named Javier Millet. Is that the correct pronunciation, Millet? President of Argentina out of the blue. Cable news fixture, newsman, entertainer, elected to the Argentine Congress, riding a wave of anti-socialist sentiment in 2021. He was elected to be the nation's president just last Sunday. What's shocking about this is Argentina has been a socialist nation for a very long time. He's a Latin American libertarian, and he also took socially conservative positions that really don't align with the common understanding of mainstream libertarianism here in the United States. Millet's Liberty Advances Party first entered the Argentine Congress in 2021, giving him his first political experience. And he rose at the expense of both the socialist Peronists and the unpopular center-right establishment. The Peronistas lost the Argentine Congress in 2021 for the first time since 1983. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989-898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. He's an economist, Javier Millet, and for years he's condemned politicians as parasites. I'm using his words and referred to the nation's career politicians as a caste that lives at the expense of the average Argentine citizen. Sound familiar? 
our politicians don't seem to be parasites that limit the expense of the average American citizen. But as an economist, he has focused his public rhetoric for years on the wealth generating power of unfettered capitalism, condemning socialism as an impoverishing system that allows for parasites in politics to live lavishly while most people suffer. Boy, is he smart. To combat inflation and economic collapse, Millet has promised to dollarize the country, make the U.S. dollar an official Argentine currency, and eliminate the Argentine Central Bank. Okay, that's enough about the president-elect Javier Millet. But what we're going to talk about today is a little different. He came to the United States, and one of the first things that he did was to visit the burial site of the seventh Lubavitcher rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. That was the first stop of his visit to the United States. That is before he met U.S. officials. Millet arrived at the cemetery located in Queens, New York, just after 9 a.m. on Monday with his entourage, where he met Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who will speak with us today. And Rabbi Jacobson has become somewhat of an informal advisor and mentor. This is amazing. This is amazing to me for reasons that I have to share with my audience. My grandfather, Samuel, is buried in this very same cemetery. I never met my grandfather. He came here as an immigrant. He worked, died of a heart attack very young. God rest his soul. And when my grandfather was buried in that cemetery in Queens, it was not a revered cemetery. Now it is. People pay fortunes to be buried in that cemetery now because of the Rabbi Schneerson being there. I'm looking forward to speaking with Rabbi Jacobson. I was introduced to him via a good friend at Breitbart. I received an email from my good friend Josh Kaplan at Breitbart the other day, and he said, would you like to meet and speak with the rabbi, Mr. Jacobson? I said, of course I would. Well, here's the shocker. Rabbi Jacobson will join us momentarily. But he reminded me today before the interview that we're doing that he actually was on my radio show a number of years ago. I've been around this game so long that you kind of forget even the great people because you live in the present. What's odd here is that the libertarian populist Millet, who is a Catholic, is an ardent admirer of Judaism and has even studied the Torah and considered converting to the Jewish faith. This is unbelievable. Well, we'll soon learn what's going on here. Rabbi Jacobson told Breitbart when asked about Malay's fascination with the Rebbe, he said, he's a very spiritual guy. And I think he has that instinct. Some people have that instinct. He just has a sense that it's true and it resonates with him. I want to know what he means by true. What instinct? It's universal, said the rabbi, and global. And I think he just feels that he's on a mission. I think he understands the bigger picture that a leader needs a vision. A leader isn't just an administrator. He's also a moral example. He has to inspire people. I think he just sees in the Rebbe's teachings things that he relates to. This is astounding. This is astounding because just the other day when I was on Newsmax TV and I was talking about Biden, I said Biden lacks any beliefs whatsoever. He's a purely self-driven man who lives only for himself and his own advancement. He doesn't believe in America. I said Biden is a man without a country. 
He has no beliefs whatsoever. I said he has no compass. He has no lodestone. He doesn't know where northeast, south or west is. That's what I said about Biden. So now we're hearing that this great spiritual leader, Rabbi Jacobson, says that this leader has a moral center. Rabbi Jacobson told Breitbart that he believes there is divine intervention at play in Millet's election amid the war and turmoil in the Middle East, stoked and funded by Iran. We'll speak with Rabbi Jacobson momentarily after this earthquake in Argentina, only here on the one and only Savage Nation. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Rabbi, hi. God bless. Thank you for being with us. I don't know if you remember, I was on your show so many years ago. Do you remember that? Rabbi Jacobson was on my radio show in 1996 discussing his new book, Toward a Meaningful Life. And then I read that there's a, an earthquake in Argentina. They elect Javier Millet. And I get an email from my friend Josh Kaplan of Breitbart saying, would you like to meet Rabbi Jacobson? I said, are you kidding me? He, this is a story that needs to be told, Rabbi, and we have to begin at the beginning. First of all, thank you for being with us today. I know your schedule is very busy. So we have a revolution of sorts in Argentina. They elect an anti-socialist in Argentina, which is almost an oxymoron because Argentina is a very socialist nation. First of all, I see that one of the first things this, quote, right winger, even though he calls himself a libertarian, of course, the American media makes him into a, a right winger. One of the first things he wants to do when he visits America is visit the gravesite of Lubavitch Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson in Queens, New York. And you accompany him to the cemetery. I almost fell out of my chair. Why? My grandfather, Samuel Weiner, is buried in that cemetery. Oh, wow. Which I know at the time that cemetery was not revered as a holy, you know, sort of a semi-holy place to be interred. He was a poor, humble tailor, worked here, had a heart attack, died young. I never met him. But today, people pay a fortune to be buried in that cemetery. Why? Why? Is it because the Rabbi Schneerson is buried there? Well, first of all, I have to take issue. I think every, every time a soul uh, passes on, we consider it sacred ground. Your grandfather as well. No matter how humble his, uh, his uh, life was, but the mere fact that he's buried there is, is sacred. Just be aware of that. But especially when you have a, what we call a sadik a righteous person, a person who's dedicated his entire life, not to his own self, but to help others and serve others, namely Rabbi Schneerson, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, while his father-in-law is also buried there. So in Jewish tradition, a cemetery is actually called a house of life, and it has a certain uh, power. 
because a house of life. Yeah. Did you know that? There's no heat or air conditioning, but it's a house of life. You got it because it's true <laughs> life. Not just biological life. It's life that lives on. So, wow. Well, we all think about the afterlife. We all fear death. Most of us do anyway. And people like yourself, I thought about it. I said, this is a very important interview for me for all these reasons that we're going to discuss, not just the political element, which is, of course, the reason that we're drawn together right now. But the spiritual reasons are more important to me than anything else. How do you nourish your soul? You nourish your soul by uh, focusing not just on your immediate needs like food, drink, rest, uh, exercise. But I like to put it this way. There's a spiritual spa that you have to immerse your soul in. Spa is an acronym for study, prayer, action. Basically, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral conditioning. Every day, study something that puts you in a more transcendent state of mind. Every day, mm. pr say a prayer, a song, a poem that touches you emotionally. And every day, do an extra act of kindness, gratitude, goodness, even a random act. These are the ways you nourish your soul. Your soul needs, uh, needs its exercise as well to be healthier. And uh, in general, it's focusing not on what you need, but on what you're giving to the world. So how does a Catholic libertarian economist from Argentina get to know you, Rabbi? It, it's uh, what some people call serendipity. Um, you can call divine providence. It's, it's as strange as it gets. I'll tell you exactly. Around two months ago, to be exact, September 10th, right before Rosh Hashanah this year, before all this crisis and this whole havoc was wreaked, October 7th. So this was, so he was in New York and he was coming to the, what they call the Ohel. The Ohel is a Hebrew name for this, uh, for the resting place of the Rebbe, of Rabbi Schneerson. And a mutual friend called me and said, you know, you're an author of a book toward a meaningful life. I, I'm, a, I'm, oh, what shall I know? I'm known to be a good communicator about um, universal Jewish ideas Maybe you meet with him. He's a candidate, an underdog. Nobody expected he would ever uh, win the election. He's an underdog. He's a candidate for, for the next president of uh, Argentina. But maybe you can present to him your book in Spanish. I have a book, Toward a Meaningful Life, which you and I spoke about many years ago. And it's translated into... Well, what's, the what's, the, what's the title in Spanish? Do you know the Spanish words? Um, I, we'll have to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I'd like to look it up. I, I let me let me look it up myself as we speak, as we speak. Well, next I'll ask for the title in Ladino if you if you push me. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll I don't speak anyway. Spanish, but I do have a copy of it because I've given it to him. Towards a meaningful life is is your book. Is my book so in English and has been translated to fourteen languages, and one of them is Spanish. Believe it or not, <laughs> and I do um, believe it. So I gave it to him, and. I saw right away that he had this unique, his eyes lit up when I started explaining to him the work I did. For many years, I was what was called a choser. When the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson, would speak Shabbat and holidays due to orthodox uh, observance, you don't use recordings and no notes are taken. So I had to remember verbatim five or six hours of talks. So I explained this to you. Uh, you, remembered in your, you remembered in your head the whole talk? Yes, I did. 
And you so you have a photographic memory, Rabbi? I wouldn't call it photographic. I don't remember like phone numbers in a phone book or our license plates, <laughs> you know, like what they say about autistic savants. But it's more of a, <laughs> a, a logical memory, meaning when I hear something, I can retain hours of it in the right sequence. So it's not quite, I would say, take a photograph of, let's say, 2050 toothpicks fall on the floor. I'll be able to tell you that. No, I don't have that. But so I'm, you don't watch a train go by with 100 cars and you can't remember the number of names on the cars. That's an idiot savant. That's much different. Yeah, very different. This is more of listening, being able to concentrate and then reconstruct what you heard without any notes. Yeah. Here I found the and book. You, and Here's the book in okay. Spanish, by the way. Here it is. <laughs> I can't read it. I'm on the <laughs> Okay. Hacia una vida plena de sentido. And in English, again, towards a meaningful, towards a meaningful life. life. And in Spanish, it's... Hacia una vida plena de sentido. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I don't know. But la vida means the life. Oh, that I know. okay. So plena de sentido sounds like purpose or meaning. Because in a minute, I'll start singing a Spanish song called El Camino de la Vida, which I sang the other day in a restaurant with a Mexican waiter because he knows it's one of my favorite songs. It's one of the saddest songs that Mexican workers will sing, El Camino de la Vida, and they're singing about their hard lives, the road of life, and all the disappointments they find on it. You mentioned a restaurant. I think we had dinner in Chinatown, a kosher Chinese restaurant, if I remember, in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, my God. Leave it to me. Chi how to be Chinese or Italian. You see? My mother, may she rest in peace, when she was in Boca, and she was, we'd talk. All she would talk about is Chinese or Italian food. So I, I found the one ch kosher Chinese restaurant in San Francisco for you. I don't remember. I swear I don't remember. I remember. It. I remember. I mean, that I'm talking about my memories. I remember. Yeah. How's the, I bet the food was horrible. I, but, but the conversation was excellent. That's all that matters. You know, that's true. And we're having a wonderful conversation with a wonderful man, Rabbi Jacobson, who is reminding me we met in 1996 when his book came out toward a meaningful life. And now he's on the podcast to reach people around the world because Argentine's president elect Javier Millet went to the burial site of the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Before he met politicians, he went there, which is unto itself a question I want to ask you. You went with Rabbi. You went with him. You were the rabbi who took him to the cemetery, right? Yeah. But why would he choose to go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's tomb instead of a politician? Why? I'll tell you, he's a very spiritual person. He sees his leadership as being divine, like God choosing him. And he, Ooh. in his words... A leader, a true leader is not just a politician or economist or a firefighter or an administrator. He's someone meant to be, uh, offer a moral and spiritual vision to his people. So he felt who's the best person to go visit is a spiritual leader. But why a Jewish leader when he's Catholic? It's a good question. I didn't ask him. My, inst my, uh. my sense is he has a very good street sense. He's like a sixth sense of, of like what's real. He just identifies. I, I mean, when I spoke with him, and I don't know him really well, to be very honest. He has gravitated no, to me. But um, he has that sense that the Jews have been around for thousands of years and they know something about um, about life and about history. And it looks like he just wants to connect to that, like almost like the Abraham vision of the Bible. He connects to that. 
Rabbi, you know, is it possible that in his ancestry there were Jewish people because there were so many people who was of Spanish surnames in Spain itself, in Portugal, who had Jewish ancestry, who were forcibly converted during the Inquisition. And they have deep, deep memory, you know, spiritual memory of their past. Is that possible? Yeah, of course. Of course, it's possible. Um, He definitely does has a deep love for Jews, doesn't have any of that. You know, sometimes you feel even subtly some type of like attitude, beautiful. And it could very well be. I mean, I I didn't feel comfortable grilling him like, you know, why and what? But it also seems to me that his parents must have grown up in a good home. Because he he just he's a naturally humble and sensitive person. I know he appears to some as being like a wild guy, and a, but when you sit with him, he could sit, listen quietly. He's very very low key, doesn't ha- and listens. He's a real listener and a real like you see, he's absorbing. And um, I I mean I'm very touched by and, and as I said, it's it's very touching to see in a leader. Usually leaders. You know, they're playing the game and they're maneuvering and manipulating and this and that. He's exact opposite. I sat with him three hours yesterday before we went to the gravesite. And, you know, he's just listening and he has this very deep emotional sense of things. You know, I, I, I'd love to be able to say that he may really change things and he'd be a real living role model for other leaders. We both know what's going on in our leadership, you know, the political leadership. Well, we have no spiritual center in America, neither Christian nor Jewish. Right. In the sense that we have no there's no moral compass in in our leaders. There's no there's no leadership. There's a lot of rhetoric and there's no reference to the soul or the soul of the nation. You know, we talk about human souls from my point of view, which I've defined a nation as defined by its borders, language and culture. But those are the external definitions of a nation or extra. But to me, a nation has a soul or can have a soul. Absolutely. We don't have a and we don't have a spiritual guide to this to this nation right now. That's the problem. Yeah. And, and, and to just define what a soul means, it means also to convey to your people that we all have a destiny. We all have a, uh, a calling. We're not just here to survive and make some more money and get by and have some pleasure. We're here to live up to some higher value and some deeper uh, transcendent calling. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. You know, I saw the headline on the Drudge Report, and that's, I said, what? And it said, Millet visits revered rabbi's grave during NYC trip conversion to Judaism. And I jumped up. I said, oh, my God, I have to see this. I never knew the guy was Jewish with a yarmulke. And then it links to Breitbart. Argentines Javier Millet visits the old hell gravesite of Lubavitcher Rebbe before meeting U.S. officials. And that was by Emma Jo Morris in Breitbart. And uh, it talks about you, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who has become somewhat of an informal advisor and mentor. And it said Rab- Millet was visibly emotional when he met Rabbi Jacobson. I have I'm to look, say, I'm look. I'm looking at the picture. The guy's crying in your arms. I know he's actually crying. What was that about? I I wish I could tell you that I know him for many years, and it was like a reunion. You know, you cry. That's what it looked like. Yeah, it looked like I I grandfather. I've been waiting to see you again. My, I honestly don't have the right words, but I'll just say this. I think he sees in me, like some type of like I represent some ancient. Uh, uh, civilization that has 
has has made it till here. I think he really sees me as a representative. I'm not sure why me, but <laughs> Mel Brooks did a show many years ago called the 2000 year old man. That was a joke. Remember, he did a joke. You probably don't remember, but I used to love Mel Brooks. And he did a thing called the 2000 year old man. So he sees you. He sees the ancient Bible come to life. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I think he he again, he senses. I think it's 4000 years old if you if you count from Abraham. Well, Mel, Mel Brooks was only a comedian. He couldn't count okay, except go. the number of people in the audience. But yeah, right. We're more like a 5,000 year old man. So I, I, that's how I felt. And I was like, uh, what should I say? I, I was like stunned myself. And uh, but, you know, you never know the, the bigger plan. There's so many bizarre things going on today, uh, Michael. Look in, in Israel and so on. So maybe God is sending us a message that I do have your back. I'll send you somebody who's a little spiritual. Maybe he can bring some hope to all of us. You know, you mentioned something, a little move. So I have this book that some religious person in Chabad sent me, My Gulag Life. I'm sure you know the book by Reb Mendel for Turfas, who was sent to the Gulag for opening Chabad houses in Russia right. and suffered terribly. So he writes in a little page every move, God bless me with much pain. I thought that was one of the most interesting lines I ever read. God blessed me with much pain and heartache. Uh -huh. And because of my time in the Gulag, many health issues, if I move my hand the wrong way, it can cause pain in another area. I learned that a person needs to be careful about every move they make. Who knows what effects it will have? I thought that's an amazing page. Right. And you're saying these things don't happen by accident. A thing like this. Absolutely. I mean, look, he, he won by a landslide. He's, it's true that Argentina is desperate. They have got high inflation and other issues of corruption. But uh, meeting him, I have to tell you, has given me a renewed hope because he has some tremendously healthy attitudes. I know he's been seen with a uh, with a chainsaw and he has all these stuff. And he's been compared to Trump, but he's very very different, in my view. And you know, I my my concern, to be honest, my prayers for him that he should not be brought down by the corrupt establishment who are probably going to oh. see him as a threat and do everything possible to make sure he doesn't succeed. So that's well, they're be. doing that. Anyone who's not a socialist or a leftist or worse, they they demonize. Yeah. And they make make up stuff about them. What? Um, <clears throat> well, we, we know about his politics so far. And uh, that he met you, okay, and the Jews of Argentina, first of all, there was that bombing years ago by the haters of, of the Jewish people. Is there religious freedom in Argentina, Rabbi, as of now? Well, my colleagues that I know in Argentina are, are thriving in the sense where they have Chabad houses, they have synagogues, they have community centers, and I don't think there are any restrictions um, you know, Argentina has always had, as we know, pro-Nazi sentiments. Yes. And, and But right now, I, I think the Jewish community thrives. And besides, economically, they have their issues. But I don't think there's any active discrimination. I mean, more than other places in the world. So I find a point, Rabbi, from a point of view of religious freedom, it seems so. And he happens to be a tremendous lover of Israel and Jews, of course. So, oh, boy, what a threat he is to the world establishment that he didn't take the side of of Hamas. Exactly. The Hitlers of our the Hitlers of our time. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I watch these pictures on TV of the Hamas wearing full masks on their face. And I'm reminded of the Ku Klux Klan, which the American left doesn't let us forget for one second. 
Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan with the masks, like we're supposed to be afraid of them. They don't even exist anymore. If I were Jackie Mason, there'd probably three three guys in, in Alabama somewhere with a, with a mask on. Here's there's hundreds of thousands of them running around with a mask and the left embraces them like they're their friends. What is this about? This Michigan, you, 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 I think you use the right words. Allow a loss of moral compass. Once you lose that, you can say dark is light and good is evil and war is peace. I mean, look at George Orwell's 1984. It's very clear. You can completely, literally, not just have a different narrative, have an opposite narrative that has nothing to do with reality. Nothing to do with reality. So in other words, a man with a beard wearing a dress and a skirt and a wig is now a woman. And if you dare call him a sir, you go to jail in, in England yep. for mispronouncing, mispronouncing. So this is the, the madness of our times. Yeah, but if that the same madness. person gets up and says, kill all the Jews from the river to the sea, you know, oh, you know what? They've been oppressed. They're in uh, their colonialism. You hear that one? Yeah, with, yeah, I came up with a new one, right? My answer to them, and I've heard that this is old stuff. I mean, I got my doctorate from UC Berkeley, and I was there as an older man in the 70s. I saw the same garbage going on with the Arabs there. They march, and I would go up to the desk, and i say, you know, the land you're standing on belongs to Native Americans. Why don't you give up your house down the street to a Native American? You're so concerned about original occupants of the land. Why don't you give up your house, your apartment? They never had an answer because there's no logic. No. There's no logic at all, and there's deep, deep hatred. And you know what? The only way they understand is strength and, um, and, and total conviction. I mean, I, I'm convinced that the best way to fight this evil is to have even more passion and fight for the good without any uh, compromise and without any limitation. Rabbi, this, this, this thing in Israel that happened bothers me very deeply because not only because of the horrors of seeing 1,400 Jews massacred in the most barbaric massacre i've seen in my lifetime i mean we've seen deaths we've seen war when the hutus and the tutsis were killing each other in africa they were cutting people's hands off with machetes that's the last i saw such a disdain for humanity till now they come into the kibbutzim they don't just conquer and they don't go after the soldiers they mutilate babies they rape the women they burn the houses to the ground then they kidnap the elderly and infants, which they still hold. And all of a sudden we wake up and we ask these questions. First of all, how did this happen under Benjamin Netanyahu? Maybe you don't even want to get into that because something's wrong with this picture. The most advanced surveillance state in the world is Israel. Cameras, spy satellites flying that could pick up a cigarette package from the from the heavens. They didn't see the movement on the border. What is this about, in your opinion? And you don't have to comment if you don't want. I, I don't know the answer. I'm as, I'm as shocked as you are. And still, you know, I have thought of all kinds of theories. I thought maybe they knew it was happening. They didn't think it would be that bad. And they, want, they uh. allowed it. And then it was a pretense to then maybe get, take out in Iran and its nuclear uh, capacity. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Okay. As that okay. was That makes sense. Yeah, but I don't know. Honestly, it, it's a, and more than that, even once the attack started, how many hours was it until there was a response? How did they get 240, 250 hostages out of there on, 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 on bicycles or whatever, on motorcycles? Honestly, Michael, uh, it's, it's, it's so perplexing. And, and in many ways, I think it contributes to the shock because 
you know, I have a stupid camera in front of my house. I can catch anything. As you said, there's the highest you. level of intelligence. <laughs> you know, I don't you know. Uh, let me ask you. I don't I'll know. I'll ask you a bigger question. How do they allow billions of dollars of infrastructure to be built to build a subway system under them full of uh, full of uh, uh, to attack them? They, Israel knew what was happening. They knew there was they're building a whole system under there. I don't know. Of the tunnels. Well, you know, the, there was a story two weeks ago that came out and was buried immediately about young female IDF officers who were on the border. They were in this surveillance department. They were watching the border and they reported unusual movement for months. They, according to this story, they were told by their higher ups that if they continued to report this, they would be court martialed. That set off every shockwave in my head like, oh, they wanted it to happen. So maybe they didn't know it would be this bad or this big and it would be a pretext to go in and take out the tunnels. But, you know, there's another element to this that doesn't make sense. A lot of things don't make sense to me, but I'm not going to answer it. Neither are you, because we don't know. We're not there. We're not Israelis. Number one, people ask me, what do you think happened? I said, ask an Israeli in the military, not me. What do I know? I'm sitting here on my tachas here near San Francisco. I don't know what happened in, on the border with, 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 you know, Gaza. All I know is that a lot of people were mutilated, raped, destroyed, kidnapped, and the world took the side of the of the of the monsters. We can't say the whole world. Thank God there are there are some civil and and straight headed people. But uh, but yeah, I get your point. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. No, I understand. We're all bewildered by it. So it's the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. So what's God saying? Let's not go there because I've this gets back to why does God let bad things happen? Well, to good well people? I have to I have to sadly quote my own teacher talking about Bishnerson, who we went yes. to visit. You know, yes. I, I worked for him for many years. That was my job. Ah. I wrote his talks. That's why I said you were I his scribe. And you were his scribe. Correct. Correct. Okay. And much of it had to be written from memory because of the Sabbath and the holidays I mentioned. So he's yes. as you as you can imagine, he was a lover of Jews of Israel. And um, back in 1967 and again in 1973 and again during the Intifadas and the Lebanese War, he had one key thing. He said, you're dealing with sworn enemies. Never let down your guard. Go all the way. You need to cut the serpent off at the head. And it wasn't because he was hawkish and right wing and looking to uh, to be aggressive. That's not the Jewish way. But he understood when you have a sworn enemy, you cannot deceive yourself into thinking, oh, we'll negotiate, we'll figure it out. And it was, and he was seen at the time, he was criticized. You're too, too extreme, you're exaggerating. And he said, lives, if you don't do it now, there'll be so many lives taken because we let down the guard. And that's what happened. 1967, after mm. that miraculous war, six-day war, what happened? They already Israel was offering the keys back to the Mufti on the Temple Mount. You know, you could and we all know the great the biggest mistake is if you you have to have unconditional surrender from your enemy. Not conditional surrender, unconditional. Imagine the Nazis end of World War II, and we say we've already bombed your cities, Berlin, Dresden, everything. But with conditional surrender, we let you save face. What do you think would happen? As soon as the enemy feels even one, one iota of, oh, you're let, letting me, but of course they rebuild. And today, Germany and Japan are at peace, are allies with the United States, with Israel. And I think that mistake is one that it's like th there was an infection and you let it become a cancer. Savage, home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation.
Well, so where do we go from here now? So there's a truce now so they can release hostages one at a time, keeping babies, keeping one member of a family. They're sadistic barbarians. We know these are monsters. These are I call them subhumans. I know it's a loaded word that people don't want to hear. But when a people fall below a level of humanity, what would you call them? Yeah, absolutely. Superhuman. I totally agree. There were, even animals don't do this. Animals, you know, the, the predators kill the prey right. and that's that. This is that's sadism. It. Sadistic barbarianism and subhuman behavior is what Hamas is. And now Biden apologizes the other day to Muslim, quote, leaders in America. I was asked about that on Newsmax TV. I said, they said, why would he do a thing like that? I said, because, well, yeah, I know you don't want to be dragged into this. I shouldn't do it. But I said, because the man lacks a moral compass. He's like a no compass. He doesn't know north, south, east or west. He doesn't believe in anything but his own self-aggrandizement, which goes back to uh, this gentleman, President-elect Javier Millet, who you say, and this is interesting, you said this. He's a very spiritual guy. He understands the bigger picture that a leader needs a vision. A leader isn't just an administrator. He's also a moral example. He has to inspire people. Jacobson continued. I think he just sees in the Rebbe's teachings things that he relates to. So this man, President-elect Javier Malay, you think is not just an anti-socialist, libertarian politician, but he's some divinely inspired leader. Yeah, absolutely. I listen. I, he's a human being. I'm sure he's got his flaws and he's got his faults. I'm not going to say that otherwise, but he does have maybe precisely because he's not an establishment. He doesn't have that jaded element to him. He sounds to me not like not cynical. He's not. Um, uh, you know, he's he sounds like he has something deeper going on. I just again hope that it's not extinguished from him by others who tried to just beat him up. Because often that's what happens. You know, you come in with all the good intentions. Oh, yes. Look what they did to Trump, who had some very good ideas. Yeah. You know what I loved about Trump? And I, I know the man. I, I've spent time with him on Air Force One. It's not like I just look at him from the outside. I had a hot dog with him. They were kosher, by the way, on Air, Air Force One. Two kosher hot dogs because Jared would only eat kosher. So he had two kosher hot dogs. I told the story many times. I won't repeat it now. Uh, how does but, a Jew you know, only get Trump, away with two hot dogs? That's what I can't understand. Well, but to show you what a nice man he was, I was starving because I had not eaten all day. And they usher me into the flying oval office and he sees my eyes dot to the hot dog. And I don't eat meat much. So he's such a guy. He sees my eyes dot to the hot dog and he says to me, would you like one of two hot dogs? He's going to give up one. But wait, there's more to the story. Everything can be seen in food. He says, would you like mustard or ketchup? And he puts it on my hot dog for me. I said, ketchup, only, mustard only. I don't want sweets on my, on my hot dog. But the point is, is that I know the man. He had wonderful ideas. We know that he's a driven man. We know he's an egotistical guy. Vain. Everyone is all politicians. But he had very good ideas. Here's a man with Jewish grandchildren, Donald Trump, who makes peace between the Arabs and the Jews with the Abraham Accords because of the hard work of Jared Kushner and Avi Berkowitz. It's a miracle. They should have won a Nobel Prize for it. Of course. And what does the American media do? They call him they call him a Nazi. Yeah, that was, a, a you know, whether it, there's no question it's one of the biggest events, maybe the biggest event since World War Two, because it set in motion the ability to create peace with Saudi Arabia and others. 
I mean, obviously yes. Hamas wants to disrupt all that, but I agree totally. Yes. Historic. Historic. So Javier Millet has for years, I'm reading, listen to this. I'm sure you know this more than I. Condemn politicians as parasites. I'm quoting now. I'm not asking you to agree. And referred to Argentine's career politicians as a caste that lives at the expense of the average Argentine citizen. And he said that he believes in unfettered capitalism, condemning socialism as an impoverishing system that allows for, quote, parasites in politics to live lavishly while most people suffer. Sounds familiar to me. Yeah. And uh, you could imagine they're going to go after him. <laughs> well, there's a socialist establishment, not only in Argentina and in America, but in the whole world that is on the rise. And we here have in America uh, moms are like Bernie Sanders, who hates Israel, hates Jews, hates the Bible, hates religion and calls herself Jewish when it when it's convenient. Uh, Bernie Sanders uses Jewishness like a weapon. Unless you like him and you know him, I don't know. Maybe you like the guy. I don't like him at all. No, I don't know him. Uh, what he says, I, I, I find it one of the most um, bizarre things when I see Jews, especially children of Holocaust survivors, people like Noam Chomsky. I don't even want to mention these names. Oh. And, and, oh, uh, yeah. and, um, and uh, uh, what's his name? Gabor Matei and uh, Norman Finkelstein. I don't, I just, to me, I, just as you said uh, that uh, uh, Javier Mele may have Jewish blood, I don't know where they come from. How could they, you know, they're completely insensitive to the to the suffering we've gone through. Fine, you want to criticize some things, Israel. We all can criticize certain things. Yes. But they take on a position that just, uh, just it's beyond me. Just like these guys, these, uh, I don't know if you know if they're Jewish, you guys marching in the Hasidic uh, outfits with uh, Hamas and with the Palestinians. Who are those people? You know. Who are they? I don't know. They're, we don't know. Maybe they're just paid off agents by Iran or something. You know, Rabbi, people don't know much of any history at all. Not American history, not world history, not European history, not Jewish history. But they they're very confused. We hear that the right wing hated Jews. Well, maybe true. And like in Hitler, Germany, but he was a he was a leftist. He was actually a, a national socialist. People don't know that. But I read that in 1930. In Ukraine. The Soviet government had tried to stamp out religious life and take away anyone involved in Jewish education who are arrested and executed in, in Ukraine. They did this to Christians as well, by the way. People don't know that the Soviets, the communists, the socialists were anti-religion because they want to replace religion with the state. So they say, oh, the right wingers attack the Jews and the Christians. It was actually the National Socialists who attacked the Jews and put them in jail for opening a Chabad house, for example. Yeah. And here in America, who, right. here in America, the best friend of Jews in America happens to be the Christian conservative. Correct. And the worst enemy of America in this country is the American left. Exactly a repeat of the Soviet Union going on. We're in a very dangerous times right now, Rabbi. You know, this earth is in flux. Our, our nation's in, in flux. It's gotten so bad in these few years. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow any more than anyone else does. But when I see a man like Millet elected in Argentina, and then we saw last week in another country, another so-called conservative right winger one somewhere else. 
and we see what's going on where they're trying to curb the migration into the European countries because they're overwhelming the local countries. Maybe just maybe we reached the high water of the madness. Do you think it's possible? I, 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 I'm a person of hope as a Jew. You know, if you're a betting man, you can bet on the Jews. We've been around for 4,000 years. <laughs> You've been around for 4,000 years. I'm not in any way minimizing the atrocities, the tragedies, the, the, the darkness, the moral uh, erosion and all of that. But I have to say this. I am a person of hope. I do agree with you that we may have seen the worst of it. I mean, that maybe. But there's another thing that I think it's important. You know what's happening now that's, if you can call it a silver lining, Everyone, you see who's who, you know, ah, and that I think is a. I think Warren Buffett put it this way: um, until the tide is out, you don't know who's been swimming naked, you know. <laughs> and I mean, he says it about economics, but the tide is out now, and you see who's who, and and there's a in the book of Dan, Daniel, the prophet, he says one of yes. the signs at the end of times before the messianic utopia of world peace, he says will be a time of clarity. Evil will be seen as evil and good as good. And ah. So even though there are people who can't distinguish, but those of us that could, it's become very clear. You know, you see, I can tell you, I know, I know people who are intermarried. There are people who are dealing with non-Jews, Jews, and they suddenly realize this person that um, I'm married to does not have the sensitivities. You know, I just heard from a couple where the wife is not Jewish, the, the man is, the husband is Jewish, and his wife is saying, what are you making a big fuss about Israel? You know, we, we live in America, we're happy. And I think it's forcing everybody to look at their, crystallize their values. What do you stand for? You know, I look at it this way. Jews are asking. Well, you know, Rabbi, I have to, I have to refer to that in another way. There are people who are not Jewish or more supportive of Israel than most of the Jews who are liberal in this country. That's that's another side to the coin. Absolutely. So I don't know that it's got to be with the Christian or the Jew. I think it's got to do with the political orientation. Well, a point well taken. I agree. I agree. But one thing is for sure is clarity. This forces the issue. Look, we all wish October, October 7th didn't happen. But in some bizarre, ironic, uh, macabre way, the our enemies, Hamas, as you said, subhuman Hamas, have brought out and touched a nerve Within all of us, men, men, Jews and non-Jews, where do you stand for? What are your values? What's life and death? What's good and evil? What do you believe in? What are you ready to fight yes. for? Yeah, where do you stand, in other words? So I want to go back before you leave us, Rabbi. Are you in New York right now? I am. I am. What's the weather like? Getting cold. So I want to go back to the cemetery because... Uh, my grandfather, who I never met, is there. I call him the astronaut of the family because he emigrated from Russia, worked his heart out, brought the, my grandmother Fanny over, then my father and my uncle worked in the tailor shop and you know died. Never met him. So we call him the astronaut he of the lived family. In New York? Because he had, yeah, he had a beautiful tailor shop. He worked from nothing to a beautiful shop making custom suits on the Lower East Side. Beautiful. My, and, and, and he was a fine, you know, Taylor, not just a, 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 a guy who would put a needle in a thread. But the point I'm making is um, I come from an immigrant background. I never met the man. I know he's buried there because I, I drove by that. I'm going to be honest with you. I never went in that cemetery. I know where it is. So I, when I heard you were there, I was actually got a, a, a little shock up my spine because the local Chabad people, um, 
um, you know, Moshe Langer, you know, Moshe. Yeah, yeah, yes, Langer. of course. When he goes to that cemetery to visit Rabbi Schneerson's grave, he goes to my grandfather's grave and makes a prayer with oh, this wow, young beautiful. boy. Wow. They do it for us. So I asked, where is it? Where is it? Like, where is it? So they actually sent me the actual. Now I got to find it. Now that's the beautiful part. Now I got to find it. I'll never find it. I, I have archives and save mail. I can't find anything. But my grandfather Samuel is buried there. And here it is. Someone sent me the exact plot. Here it is. Oh, it says age 63. He died in 1933. I won't read on here where it is, but I don't want to put it publicly. I don't want people to go there and vandalize, you know, some, some <laughs> idiot could listen. But there it is. I'm going to send it to you in, in case you're there. You I, could put I a want to extend on. an invitation to you, just as I went with the president. You come when well, next time you're in New York, I'll be I'll personally be honored to accompany you and visit your grandfather. How about that? Blessings. <sighs> remember, so remember, the souls live on, the souls live on. You know, I, well, I, you want, know, I, I told this to the president yesterday, President Millet. I said, what did the anti-Semites attack first when they came to a Jewish city? You know what? The cemeteries. They defiled and desecrated the tombstones. You know why? Because I think subconsciously they knew our power lies in our memory. It power lies in our DNA and our connection to those that were here before us. So you may have not met your grandfather, but trust me, your grandfather's DNA is beating inside of you. And you are oh, today who you are because of him and your other uh, grandparents. Absolutely. Well, I know that, and I I know I don't live up to their to their to their hopes in many ways. You know, I'm an imperfect person in so many ways, but I have to live with my you know my life the way I was created. What stuff that happens to us makes us into who we are. And I'm no I'm no saint, Rabbi. I'm no saint. I'm glad you I clarified that. I'm sorry. I had to because you could have confused me with a saint. And that's the last thing I needed. This well, really, I'd life. love to go with you. And I think it would be a great honor to visit the site. Well, it, it would be something. I'll tell you this. If I ever get to New York again and I don't travel much anymore, I don't like traveling. I don't like airplanes. I don't like hotels. I don't like restaurants. I'm, I'm a hermit, basically. I like my little world of my own little world I created. Well, what happens if we send Air Force One with some hot dogs? I may go if you send if you send the kosher pizza from New York, I may get on the plane. <laughs> Rabbi, so Javier Millet, where is he now? Now he's meeting with the politicians in America, both sides of the aisle. At 11 o'clock yesterday morning, he went from New York. He went to Washington and he was meeting the different meetings. I'm not sure his whole uh, itinerary, but I believe he's probably he may be on his way back, maybe or not sure, to be honest. How big was his entourage? Can you tell us? Yeah, when you say um, his he had with him the ambassador, by the way, he had the American U.S. ambassador to Argentina was with him, a Jewish guy who lives in Dallas. But he's ambassador now to Argentina. Um, his name, I forgot his name, to be honest, but uh, he was with him. He had, um, I think, an assistant or two. It was not the large, big entourage. It was maybe four people. Um, I would have heard entourage. I figured 20 bodyguards. No, 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 no. He had a driver. And then there were a few businessmen from Argentina that flew in independently of him to meet him and greet him as well. Did he come on the Argentine official air, airplane of the, I, of the government? I think so. I know he landed in Teterboro. 
Ah, okay, private jet. Right, so it must have That's been private. Pri- and uh, then and from there, he came to Queens, New York, where the, the cemetery is. And uh, I mean, we spent, he came at 7 a.m. He landed, I think, 6 a.m. He came 7. I met him at 7 till around 11 a.m. We spent time, including going to the to the gravesite. Said his prayers. You know, you brought up, I, I can't let you go yet because you brought up Daniel's prophecy the prophet Daniel in the Bible. And and now this little book is not from a Jewish source, but it was given to me by a Seventh-day Adventist in a mailbox 50 years ago. I don't care. There's interesting stuff in all books if you read them and you can screen out what you don't want to, you know, the proselytizing. And it's got cartoons and pictures and whatnot. You know how they proselytize. You probably never see these books. I see they bring them to my house at times as well. We got (laughs) they I used to get them. They'd come to the door. They're nice guys. They try to convert me. They know that they, they, they say, we like you to this. But I said, look, I have my own religion. I'm Jewish coming in. Maybe I'll turn you into a Jew. When they come to my door to try to convert me, I, I tell them, look, I'm not into the conversion, but why do I need another religion? You know what a rabbi once said to me? He once said, Buddhism is nice. He said, for Buddhists. But you're not a Buddhist. You're Jewish. I remember those were the days in Berkeley because people would ask the rabbi, Rabbi, what's wrong with Buddhism? It's a religion of peace. He says, nothing wrong with it if you're a Buddhist. But he said, you're Jewish, so it's not for you. It was a good answer. Yes, yes. The Dalai Lama would tell people who come to see him and they were Jewish. He says, why are you coming to me? Everything we know comes from you. You should go back. <laughs> yeah. He did. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, and go back to uh, your roots. Savage. Michael Savage. A host like no other. So if anyone's listening to this podcast, they hear us talking with a little bit of very serious than schmoozing two guys who having a little fun together. But we're all living in a fiery world right now. This world is on fire and we don't know who's going to be engulfed in the flames. We don't know how far the flames are going to go. The flames of socialism. We hope that the election in Argentina means that they've reached their high point and that the flames will be put under control. We hope that the election of Gerd Wilders in Holland means that there's going to be a hope for Europe, that it's not going to go pure socialist Nazi. We don't know, though. So God's plan. Do we know God's plan? Nobody knows God's plan, do we? We don't maybe know the exact details, but we do know the end story. What is it? The end story is that if you look at the trajectory, and I don't minimize what's going on now, the trajectory is you know, we've t- I talk to, I'll talk as a Jew. You know, this is the first time in history that um, we have a, a, a government, and I don't mean the politicians, I mean the institution of the United States that says, and is based on biblical principles like all men are created equal, and we as Jews have never been as free to celebrate and, um, and honor and educate our children without the fear of being arrested, I'm talking about institutionalized anti-Semitism. There are plenty of anti-Semites. So if you look at the big picture and step back at a bird's eye view, I think our great-grandparents would see our time as almost messianic. And I'm again, I'm not taking away what's happening. Oh, no, I agree with you. I said it myself on a podcast okay, last good. week. I said, stop fetching and complaining. If this old man could live eight years in the gulag in the snow, starving to death, you could suffer through a, a politician you don't like. Yeah. Stop complaining about everything so bad. So, uh, so I think it, at the end of the day, it looks to me like a many different, like an invisible hand, different pieces being moved. 
The biggest mistakes are our human mistakes. I think if God did it his way, it would be a lot simpler. But humans can make mistakes. Israelis can make mistakes. And we have, of course, our enemies. But overall, my feeling and my belief, absolute belief, and again, I bet on the Jewish destiny and history that we will prevail. And we will, just like the Christians who terrorized the world for 1,700 years, they were tamed. I believe the Muslims will ultimately be tamed and defanged destroying the the haters and ultimately they will get we'll have to we need you know a market correction will take place well i had a guest on a muslim a wonderful muslim gentleman a few weeks ago who was born in syria and he says only a uh, reformation amongst islam can save islam and, and here doctor you may know the gentleman dr zudi jasser j-a-s-s-e-r i think i've heard of his name yeah a wonderful man, U.S. Navy for 11 years, a wonderful cardiac nuclear cardiology. And he runs the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And he's working for the Muslim reform movement. There you go. And he's working at it very hard. So he knows as a modern Muslim that the fanatics like Hamas are not part of the future of Islam, but the part of the past. Correct. And the world cannot cannot live with that kind of madness, it can't. Look, Saudi Arabia and some of the other countries make peace with Israel and they begin to work with each other. I believe we'll find the common denominator, which is, I, I, I don't know if I, you know this, I did a video a few weeks ago called a call to my Muslim cousins and friends. What would your grandfather Abraham tell you today? What would he say to you after what you've done? You know, Abraham preached love, kindness, and they are basically defying their own grandfather by being, he, he prayed for infidels. So I really, I know it sounds naive maybe and somewhat idealistic, but I firmly believe that the Muslim, we have to do our part, eradicate any type of evil, absolutely, and then do our part in reforming their education system, especially of the children, so that no. they can grow up. And you know what? Embrace the beautiful elements of Islam and, uh, and just like Christianity, went through its savage period, and then became somewhat more docile, more tame, to the point that the United States, even though it wasn't, it's not a Christian country, but it was not founded by Jews, it was founded by deists, and they built a country that is uh, in its values, its ideals. Again, I go back to the Declaration of Independence. I'm not talking about how politicians are, are uh, distorting it. I really firmly believe that that is the end game. Well, you know, Islam can be peaceful judaism can be peaceful judaism can be violent you know christianity you can you can find things in the in the in the five books of moses that are pretty violent right as well but the jews don't live those things they don't stone adulterers to death thank god they don't stone homosexuals they may condemn the act but they don't throw rocks at them and kill them like the muslims do in iran throw them off a building but right now islam is under the grip of the wahhabi sect as you well know and it's Wahhabism, not so much Islam that we're looking at in Hamas. Yeah. These are the Wahhabists, not the Islamists. The Muslim is one thing. Wahhabi sect is another. But that I think I'll do that as a whole podcast one day. People don't understand who Wahhabi was and what he what he did to this whole religion. There was a time that Islam got along with Jews and Christians for hundreds of years. Absolutely. Um, and then all of a sudden, this sect comes along out of the Arabian desert. And now we have Hamas emerging, 
which are basically Hitler and a headscarf, is what I call them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of Sayyad Qutab, another one of the fathers of fundamentalist Islam. Um, he was uh, he was assass- he was uh, assassinated and that says he was um, executed by Nasser in 1966. He was like a teacher and a mentor of uh, bin Laden. And he advocates this thing that is the, the bottom line is that after the Jews and the Christians were chosen by God, but then they fell out of favor. And now Islam has to control the world. And they That's do so they even by violent means. I mean, again, it's, what's it's, his last name? Syed who? Syed who? Q-U-T-B. Check him out. Syed? Qutab. Q-U-T-B is his last name. Syed Qutab. I will. Now we don't have nothing. So he's a he's a he's a believer in the original conquest element of Islam. Yeah, but it's also theological small, that I think many Islam, Muslims are sympathetic to. They may not agree with the aggressive uh, means, but they're sympathetic to the idea that Israel is a desecration of God because it needs to be under Muslim control. It's not just a matter of uh, you kicked us out of our land. It's Muslim control that needs to control the world basically well that's what they believe which is the whole world will be at peace when all the infidels are converted or killed that's actually the core religious belief yeah that's what's put in their head in the mosque yeah well we have a big question before us and many questions before us and only god knows the answers but before we leave i want to take again take my hat off to you so you could see my shiny head and I want to say, Rabbi, what an honor it is speaking with you. I, I was shocked when you reminded me that we met in 1996 on my old radio show days. And look how the world works. The Josh Kaplan would email me and say, would you like to meet Rabbi Jacobson, who went to the cemetery with with uh, um, <clears throat> with Millet? And I said, my grandfather's buried there. And I said, well, are you kidding me? I mean, there's something bigger going on here right now that I could find. Oh, I can almost see it, but I can't. I know it's right there. I can almost feel it right above my conscious level. There's something going on in my life right now, spiritually, that you should be here, even though it's only by by Zoom or Zoom. But you're like in the room with me with modern technology. I feel the same. You know, when you get and you get your own ego and your own interests out of the way, we become agents of a divine uh, choreography, a divine bigger plan that we don't always divine. understand. I think you just gave me the title of this po- podcast, A Divine Choreography. You should be. That's a good title for your next book. I'm going to give it back to you, A Divine Choreography. I'm writing it down. Sometimes, sometimes beautiful things happen spontaneously. So your book, it's in many languages now. Yeah, 14 languages toward a meaningful life. And um, let's can we talk about that for a minute? What is the fundamental theme of the book? Fundamental theme is that if you don't nourish your soul as much as your body, you cannot live a really healthy life. Huh? Wow. I mean, I could. So how do you nourish? How do you nourish your soul? You nourish your soul by uh, focusing not just on your immediate needs like food, drink, rest, uh, exercise, but I like to put it this way. There's a spiritual spa that you have to immerse your soul in. Spa is an acronym for study, prayer, action. Uh, Basically, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral conditioning. Every day, study something that puts you in a more 
transcendent state of mind. Every day, mm. pr say a prayer, a song, a poem that touches you emotionally, and every day do an extra act of kindness, gratitude, goodness, even a random act. These are the ways you nourish your soul. Your soul needs, uh, needs its exercise as well to be healthier. And uh, in general, it's focusing not on what you need, but on what you're giving to the world. Rabbi, I know you don't come to San Francisco much, or do you? Uh, not much, but, um, but I, I have been there, and uh, I'll definitely call on you when I get there. I will find another kosher Chinese restaurant for you this time. Rabbi, what a blessing and a pleasure it is to speak with you. And when you see God in your prayers, tell him I say hello and I'm trying my best. I will. But if you see him before I do, tell him the same. <laughs> oh, God forbid. No, I, I don't mean it in, 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 a, in a derogatory sense. But I know I, I have a feeling that you super religious guys live in a world. I don't understand. I, I see it. But you're in a realm I don't live in. A, a realm I get. I go around. I get near it. I feel it but I'm not in it, but I know you speak to God. That's what I meant by it. Not in a, in a, in a negative sense. No, I took it that way. I understand. I understand. But don't underestimate yourself. You're a man that has a voice. You're reaching millions of people and you have a, you're on a mission. So everybody has their mitzvah, their good deed. Don't, uh, don't uh, underestimate the effect you have. It takes on many shapes. There's no, you know, religion and, and connection to God is not, uh, let's not uh, pigeonhole it into one category. It's not stereotypical. It doesn't have to look a certain part. It's about fulfilling a calling that really makes the world a better place. And I think that uh, you can feel proud. I'm not saying to flatter you. I think you need to know that. No, you sh you, oh, you are making me feel connected again. I get disconnected from my own core beliefs sometimes. I get distracted. Look, we all have I'm our moments of dissonance. Trust me, I so do I. And I think at times like this, I honestly, I, feel, I remember from October 7th, I was in California when it happened. I felt like, you know, you, sometimes your whole life you train for a moment like this. Because these are real moments. I, this is a defining time in history. There's no question. Yeah. You know, yes. it's, it's, it's not business as usual. And I, I feel that that certain sense of urgency that we need to really, and, and using technology and the airwaves and Podcast is is a tremendous way of, of you know, I have a big Muslim following. I do a lot of YouTube videos. And, wow. You know, plenty of hate mail, but a lot of love yeah. mail as well. And and I think we can make a difference because there are enough people out there that can hear a humane message if you say it in the right way. There are haters. I know people you can't change their minds, but there are yes. plenty silent majority that can be swayed and that can be educated. Because let's be honest, most of it is ignorance, misinformation, Brainwashing yes. propaganda. I see it online all the time. They start. You see the, the the Jew haters like they say the Torah that says this. They don't even know what it means. So I say that sometimes I'll I'll get engaged with them. They, they're like dummies. You could see the dummies. The Torah says this. I said, do you read Hebrew? Do you know what the Torah is? But then they said the Talmud is anti-Christian. I said, have you ever read it? No, but I know it's anti-Christian. They, they do things like that. 2019, I had a heart attack. I suffered a heart attack. So I'm in the hospital. They're wheeling me in after a lifetime of fearing it and vitamins and health, but still being a crazy guy and doing all the stuff I shouldn't as well. So they're wheeling me into the room and they give me some drug on the way in. So I start to pray in, in uh, the Shema in the, into the, in the cart. They're wheeling the meat 
wagon in and I'm going from English to Hebrew and back and forth. So after it's over, the surgeon says to my wife, your husband was mumbling on the way into the surgical ward. I said, doctor, I wasn't mumbling. I was praying. I said, you guys are geniuses when it comes to science, but you got to understand there's a spirit also that wants to live. The spirit was saying, please, God, let me live. Well said, yeah. So a few months later or a month later, I get like a feeling I'm having again. I go back to the ER room. I'm scared to death. And I, they keep you for eight hours to see if you had. And a black nurse comes in. I had noticed on the way in a very large lady. I knew she was African. I could almost tell you the country and village she was from because I spent years in, in the Fiji Islands. And I got to know a lot of the derivation of African people around the world. And she comes into the room and we talk. And she looks in my eyes and I saw she was looking right through me and she says, don't worry. She said, you've got a lot of work to do. Where'd she come from? Wow. Who was she? A divine agent. Who was she? Who was she? Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, Rabbi, I, I don't want to let you go, but I got to. So... You have the final word. Very moving, very moving. Well, I'm glad you're you're with us and you're healthy, and you should only continue being healthy and uh, and fulfilling your calling in this world. And I say that also to all your listeners. That's what we have to be. We have to today be soldiers and fighting and realize that the passion for good and love has to be stronger than their passion for hatred and uh, and uh, and violence and evil. Rabbi Jacobson, your book, I know, it taught a meaningful life they could find probably online. But do you have a website or yeah, something that yeah. people go to? Well, same name, MeaningfulLife.com. Oh, there you go. MeaningfulLife.com. And I have a lot of material, especially now. I've been doing a lot of video, a lot of interviews. Is it a meaningful life? No, meaningful life, just meaningful life. M-E-A-N-I-N-G-F-U-L-L-I-F-E.com. And I have a robust web, uh, YouTube channel. Please check it out. Stay in touch. How do, you, how do they find your YouTube channel? I'm going to do it this afternoon. Yeah, just do Simon what Jacobson, Meaningful Life. You'll find it immediately. I think the Wii YouTube channel is called Meaningful Life Center, if I recall. This is I saying goodbye. We take a little break from one talk to the next. God bless you is all I could say in our own language. May God be with you in the language of the times. Uh, I hope we could do this again. I'd love to do this on a regular basis with you. It's been very uplifting for me. God bless you. I uh, a big honor to be with you, and I'd love to do more. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's go for it. Okay, Rabbi. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for taking the time out to be with us on this beautiful day in the world of God. Thank you. Thank you. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.